From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Goal Own Goal. Joining me to bring a little fun and frivolity, as well as his usual dour Scottish seriousness, the great and good Roger Mitchell. Hi, matey. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. I'm not dour. How can you be dour when you win four Cal Cups in a row? No, Scotsman has won four in a row. (laughs) That's That's where we're going, is it? That's where we're going. Well, I'm, I'm just that's saying, do you guys still play rugby? Do you still play rugby? That's, that's I mean, where we're going. Well, you get, you've given it away now, Rog. I was about to say, for all those people listening, uh, if you can tell me what the Calcutta Cup is presented for and you're not uh, a Scottish rugby fan, I'd be extraordinarily surprised. But hey, listen, take your victories when you can get them, my friend. Four in a row. Four in a row. Listen, there must be a great graph out there. The moment that CVC invests in rugby and English English performance, it must have a perfect correlation. Inverse correlation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, so yeah. all good. How are you? How are you? You're off somewhere. I'm very well. I'm very well, my friend. I'm very well. I'm working. I'm sitting here in a shirt and tie. I've got a bunch of meetings. Um, so I've got all that to do, which would be fun. But um Mate, life is good. Life is good. I'm not going to complain. I, I could. I've got plenty I could complain about, Rog, but hey, what's the point, right? This is not a therapy session. This is goal on goal. It is not. And as this always, is goal on goal. And as always, I'm going to let you go first. What do you got for me? Well, I've got a little nice little um, mini goal, which is a very personal one. Uh, last night was the Super Classico of uh, <laughs> River Plate and Boca Juniors, um, which is obviously uh, yes. the big game in Argentina. Uh, and if people on Twitter or social media saw the scenes from the stadium, it's just something unbelievable. It is one of my incredible, right? Uh, Me too. Me to too. We should do that together. That. I've always yeah. wanted to do we that. Sh- let's do that. Let's let's do that now that we've got the new guy in Argentina. You probably can pull a couple of a couple of uh, tickets easily. He's your mate. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? Milio or something? Mille. Javier Mille. Uh, yeah. Okay. No, the, the, the goal is this. Um, I mentioned it, I think, once, sometime once before. My next door neighbour here is the family of um, Daniel Fonseca, who uh, was a big player in the 90s. Um, I didn't really know, and I don't know Daniel because he doesn't live with the family, but I know the mother and the two kids, and I've seen them growing up. They've been our neighbours. Uh, and Nicholas Fonseca uh, was a very good player, as is his brother, who is uh, also doing very well. But Nicholas had a really bad injury, about 14, 15, the, the usual thing with knees and everything like that, and just completely derailed his career. Uh, and he buckled down, he went and did the hard grind in Uruguay, where his dad's from, and, you know, just grew and grew and grew. And, and about a year ago, River Plate signed him. <laughs> and um, he's playing there last night. <laughs> he's playing in the Super Classic. No <laughs> Can way. you believe it? I'm wow. telling you, man, he is, is that not a goal, a real goal? Wait a minute, wait a minute. 
your next door neighbour, the kid you've watched grow up, is playing for them, and I've got to get us the tickets. Are you out of your mind? Well, that's a good, that's, that is a good point. Now you see, <laughs> I can get you the tickets. I can get you the tickets. Sweet I forgot fancy that. Moses. <laughs> that's right. So, Seriously, we have um, to go do that, that, Roger. We we have to go do that. We we will do that. Um, uh, he's it's funny because his brother uh, Matthias, a younger guy, he got signed by Inter. Good, good striker, a little, you know, chunky. Um, he's now also over there and he got selected for the under-20s Uruguay national team managed by a certain uh, Marcelo Bielsa El Lojo. <laughs> So I said, I said to him, you won't be then carrying that extra weight for much longer. Mate. <laughs> yeah, <right. Like> it. <laughs> Jesus. You're chasing back hard. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no passengers in a Bielsa team, Roger. That is for damn sure. No, but I'm delighted for the family. She's done oh, really that's well. She's, it's, isn't that amazing? You know, like she grew them herself really and, they're just two lovely lads, you know, they're not the usual, oh, I've made it, I'm now going to look down my nose at everybody. They're lovely, lovely lads. And he went out there and put in the hard yards and playing in the the, the, the River Plate Boca Derby. Jeez, uh, I mean, like, unbelievable. Unbelievable. That, that That's is terrific. That is, uh, it'll, it'll be fantastic to have it, next time you see him, to have, have a chat and ask him what it's like. I mean, being in the stands is one thing, but actually playing in it, I mean, holy crap, that must be just ridiculous. <laughs> Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Just ridiculous. And if, and if anybody, ridiculous. I say, if anybody listening to this, um, particularly in America, isn't familiar with uh, the Super Classico, um, just Google it. River Plate, Boca Juniors, Google it and go down that rabbit hole because it's well worth your time. It's an extraordinary, extraordinary thing. Well done, Nicholas. Um, well done. Well done, Nicholas, indeed. Uh, well, Roger, obviously you know where I'm going to have to start, right? The film win. The film win. Well, I was going to just start at Old Trafford because there's so much wrapped up in in this week with Manchester United. Correct. Um, but let, let's get let's get the Fulham win out of the way first because it was magnificent, and it's um, obviously it's my goal for the week. Uh, and why not? I think it's uh, there. There are there are players. Um, there were players on the United bench and on the Fulham bench who weren't born the last time we beat them at Old Trafford. So that'll tell you how long ago it was. Uh, I remember that game, um, but. Um, but you know what? I, I watched the game. Um, uh, I, I, my dad was uh, in Cayman and I was in the US. So we kind of watched it together at the same time. But um, it was, we, des- we, we deserved it, Roger. We should have beaten them mm-hmm. more than 2-1. We mm-hmm. absolutely battered them. And, and I, it's funny, I looked at the stats. <laughs> I was surprised at the stats afterwards because it felt like we had... <laughs> No, no, you're right. Fans it fell from, on, we deserved it to we absolutely battered them. It's just like there's no middle ground with football. No, but, but this is yeah, you're right. I gave you half thing, a right? centimeter, <laughs> and I jumped in it. I jumped in. But here's the weird thing, right? I was watching the game, and and as a Fulham fan, you learn to be fearful, right? You learn to be fearful. Yeah, you learn to be that. fatalistic, right? You just do, especially when you're playing a team like Man United at Old Trafford. Um, and, you know, you, you start off, your, your your mindset is, we're having a real go here. This is this is great. And then your mindset goes to, we're finding so much room in the middle of the park here. We've got a good shot here. And then you find, we're all over them here. And, you, and you, you, your yep. emotions build yep. and build and build. And Fulham, I thought, played really, really well. And it felt 
watching the game in the first half, that we were dominating them. You look at the stats, not the case, right? Just not the case. It, it looked like, and it felt like we were by far the better team. You look at the stats and it's a lot closer in terms of pure statistics, which I find interesting. Um, but, you know, to get Lies, that, damn to get that and goal... statistics, Grant. Exactly it's right. About- exactly right. Exactly mm. right. But to get the goal... Um, and I have to say, Rog, that United midfield, there was so much space in that midfield. So if we'd have had Polina in the team, uh, which, you know, who was out, if we'd had William in that team, I honestly think we'd have we'd have actually had, had a memorable, memorable win there. But to see them score in the 90th minute, the emotional rollercoaster, your heart sinks, is like, oh, man, here we go again. And then you've got seven minutes extra time and your mind switches to, they're going to get another winner in extra time here. You just know this is how the script goes. So to see us get the seventh minute of extra time, final minute winner, was just pure joy. And I have to have a, you must a big have been shout buzzing. out to our mate. You must have been buzzing. Look, I was. It's just, you don't expect it, right? And you don't, you hope for it, but you don't expect it. And when it happens, uh, it, it's just pure joy. Um but, it's, Roger, I have to say a big shout-out to our mutual mate, Dave, who, first of all, offered me tickets if I wanted to go to the game. Um, Dave, thank you very much. I wish I, yeah, yeah, I wish I could have done that. Um, but secondly, the first text I got after the game, the first text was from Dave. Congratulations. You know, and it's, um, it, it's just, it's such a joyous thing, football, because when they beat us with that 96-minute winner from Fernandez at, and we'll come on to him, at Craven Cottage at the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, I was the same. I, I, I sent him a message saying, you know, congratulations, you thieving bastards. <laughs> you know, no, uh, no animosity there whatsoever. But it's just... He's a it, great it's guy. Just, he's a great guy. He's a super guy. And, super and it's guy. just... It brings home everything that football's about, Rog, right? All the emotions, the joy for something that Monday morning you get up and you go to work the same, you do everything's the same, except you just feel that little bit better because you beat United in the 97th minute at Old Trafford. It's it's such a human experience. And it was a it was just it was a great game to watch. I really enjoyed the game, really enjoyed the performance. And um yeah, what a what a what a win to get. But let's let's move back in time to during the week and talk about Man United and Old Trafford, because I think it is um I'm sure the inquest will start with them being beaten at home by Fulham, right? After four wins in a row and here we go, lads, we're finally on the way. Um, but I think I sent you a, an article I read um, talking about um, Sir Jim, Sir Jim Ratcliffe, you know, and, and his, uh, his, his, the way he wants to do this, which is, you know, to, to get United into great shape and lean and mean and, you know, redevelop the ground and all the all the things he's going to do to put in place. He's talking about bonus systems for players in the press this morning, wants to restructure everything. And, you know, I, and, and this has been your point all along, I know, so I'm, I'm absolutely stealing it from you, but I want your thoughts on it. It's like, Jim, <laughs> mate, let's have a little chat here. You are going up against a growing group of uh, owners who are not looking for any kind of financial return out of this. They they will spend money like water to, to beat you because you were the alpha team before any of this started. And you don't have a chance in hell of being prudent, being careful with the money, you know, trying to put a, a long-term structure in place. You know, what Arsenal have done, frankly, is extraordinary, but it's taken them a long time, the kind of time that United have spent, but they're nowhere near where Arsenal are right now. Um, I just don't see how this works, Rod. You know, Man United, 
should have taken the Qatari money, and then it would have been it would have been much easier for them to say, right, we're now going to compete Ooh. with City in Newcastle. What, what are your thoughts on that? No, I, well, from a pure from a pure cash yeah, point of view. No, I mean. it is the point. The reason I'm slightly hesitating here is because I've decided this is going to be the next column. You know, a state of the nation of association football. So I, I, I don't want to say everything I'm going to say in the column because at the column, I get time to think about it a wee bit more. But I think you've you've hit the nail on the head here, Grant. Um, Jim Radcliffe, if I re- read well what he's been saying this week, he says this isn't a financial investment from me. So he himself is agreeing that anybody investing into European football as an asset class is coming up against what you've just said there. A lot of guys, a lot of nation states, a lot of girls that are not in it to be rational. Now, that's a hellish scenario as an asset class. Hellish, where your competitive advantage is about buying players over the other person, your competitor buying players. So I think Radcliffe knows that and is accepting it. Whether he understands what that means, I don't know. But, you know, I think this is going to be the core of, of today's GOG because um, I've looked at what Radcliffe's doing. First of all, the idea that he's doing this from a position of minority equity is astonishing. You know, he's talking yes, as I, if he's I, running was, the I was place. going to ask you about that. Okay. Yep. Uh, it's just, it's astonishing, you know, uh, and, you know, that old line about the most expensive season ticket uh, you can get. Um, but, you know, from the way he's doing it, the thing I want to say, two things that I, I want to give him a good, good, you know, tick for. The one is that he's recruiting what I think is probably best of breed in the C-suite and the football department is is very encouraging. That's what they've not had for ages. They've had a collection of keystone cop type figures. I'm sorry if that offends anybody, but we all know it to be true in football that don't really understand uh, how football works, how uh, football teams are put together, how dressing rooms are put together. And I've been very impressed by the way he's seemed to go after the best in breed. Um, secondly, is the bit you've just mentioned there, Grant, which is um, this whole idea that was always going to have to come, that the very top of the talent, the ones that we can call the needle movers, whether it's in football or golf or whatever, the real needle movers, and there ain't that many of them, uh, they're going to have to we're going to have to find a different way to remunerate them. It can't just be on wages, flat fee wages, where they spend X percent of their time every year on the treatment table and they have a laugh like Pogba, things like that. Uh, and, and Jim's already said, you know, we need to get into a way of uh, incentivizing bonuses, performance-led pay, uh, mirroring, mirroring a little bit of what Messi has done, uh, going to the States as opposed to taking the the, 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 the flat fee money in Saudi. I think that's coming to, to sport in general, certainly coming to football. I hope so. So I'll, I'll, I'll stop here because there's a lot more to say about this, but I, otherwise I, um, I'll run out of breath. That would be my first reaction. I think he started very well, and I think the Fulham result is just football. I don't read anything into yeah, that. I agree. What, what, I would, what I would say is that... Um, the next thing he needs to say, I believe, is something along these lines here, Grant. Football, like most team sports, all team sports really, is about putting together a winning organisation. 
it's not about the collection of the most talented 11 individuals that you can afford in that particular moment in time. Yes, Chelsea, I'm speaking about you. That doesn't work in our sport. That doesn't work. What works is finding, and, and forgive me if I just speak about men because it, it applies to both, but I'm only just going to use the, the, the male pronoun. Um, you've got to put 11 young men together that are going to fight for each other and have a sense of what they are doing and what they are playing for. And there are some people that have been in that Man United dressing room for years. You know, the famous Roy Keane, uh, leopards don't chase their, sp their spots. They got Mourinho, they'll get the next guy and the one after that. Radcliffe, see if he came out and said, you know, Fernandez is not a captain. Uh, some of the things he does is not worthy of Man United, the feigning and the faking and the moaning and the whining like a little girl. Sorry, I'm not, but that's the way that's my generation speaks. Um, he should be, he should come out and say something like, look, Bruno, um, the contract's rescinded. Uh, the lawyers will sort out how much we owe you, but don't fucking come back tomorrow. See if he did that. See if he did that. The United fans, I believe, would say, oh, my God. You know, we, the Papa's got a brand new bag. You know, the music has changed. And you, and, and I'm a believer in change management and organizations. You need to put some blood on the walls early. That's my experience of when it works well. You know, in this case, he deserves it. But I've seen it when people don't deserve it and they just, they're the unlucky ones that are made examples of. But Bruno Fernandes, you know, this is, this is the club of Jimmy Murphy of Matt Budsby, of Duncan Edwards. How can you have that whiner on the field like that as your captain? C can you explain that to me, Grant? No, I can't. No, I, I, I've, I, I think he's a very shabby, uh, a shabby... He's a great player, I'll give him that. He's a very talented footballer, but he's a shabby individual. And, there's, and the whining and the play-acting, and, and there's a great clip doing the rounds on social media that sums it all up in about 30 seconds, Rog. You know, he's, he's, he's on the edge of the Fulham box, takes a shot, which is... Which is you know, half blocked, goes down, you know, hand in the air like, you know, ref, stop the game, stop the game, this is serious, rolls around clutching his ankle, the play's gone on, no one's looking at him and he jumps up, uh, you know, sprints a couple of steps and demands the ball again on the edge of the box. I mean, it's just it's just shabby. I mean, it really is shabby. And and he's getting called out on it more and more. Um, and I, I agree with you, Roger. I mean, I think that, that would be a very bold step to take and I suspect even though he's the team captain I think United fans you're right I think they would back that if if it came out and did that but I just want to go back to your thing about you know Jim Ratcliffe saying this is not a financial investment to me and I think the point I was trying to make it trying to make about what he said there Rog was I, it maybe it isn't right but that what that says to me is he doesn't necessarily expect an immediate return on it However, if that's the game he wants to play, if he wants to be in the, this is not a financial investment business for me, he is up against people who are playing the very same game. But, you know, he's a billionaire. He's not a nation state. And so, you know, as much money as he's got, it's fine to go into these things saying it's not a financial investment for me. Unless you have some success unless you can get your ship in order and I agree like that getting Dan Ashworth from Newcastle is a is a bold move and he's definitely making the right behind the scene moves and, and you've you've talked about this for a long long time now about the, the need to start things at the very very top 
But I just, I just wonder whether those, those comments about this not being a financial investment to me are going to come back to haunt him. Because you say he owns 25% of the club. When push comes to shove, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of sway those 25% of the votes give him when it comes to some meaty decisions or any arguments in the boardroom. And they're going to come. They are going to come as sure as as sure as uh, tomorrow's Tuesday. So we'll see. Um, we'll see. But you know, uh, you know, suddenly the ground is dilapidated. You know, everyone's talking about how how dilapidated Old Trafford is. I mean, it 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 wasn't that long ago. It was the pride of the country in terms of the quality of the stadium. It just shows you how when things start to start to unravel a little bit, how quickly it all kind of gets away from well, you. And so we'll see. Well, I mean, I think the point you made there about he's a billionaire, but there's the nation states. This is why, you know, I did half an article about that a, a couple of months ago, you know, this is the end, you know, that one there. But I, I feel it more, I feel it more, Grant, you know, like uh, CVC in the Bundesliga, they get told where to go and st- shove it, you know, by the fans. Um, CVC in the French League uh, seems to be unravelling the Senate having a go, some of the clubs having a go. Obviously the media market's completely changed. You know, the disaster that is Todd Bowley showing what you shouldn't do. Um, PSG is a project, you know, now that, you know, Mbappe's on his way. You know, X years later, a decade later, what, what mark would you give PSG as a project run by a nation state? Pretty much a disaster. A disaster. They haven't created anything of 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 of, of long-term value. So 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 what I'm what I'm saying, Grant, is are we perhaps right on the cusp of this completely reversing? And it comes back to what Jim Radcliffe would say are the real brands and the real clubs that people will never, ever have a question mark over, which are called Man United, etc., etc., etc. I'm just feeling, I'm feeling, and then, you know, you see little small things like, you know, you see Leverkusen doing what they're doing just by being really good as a team. You know, the same thing, you won't know this, but Bologna here in Italy, they're sitting fourth in the league with no budget just because they've got a great manager in a sense of bringing back the old the old way of thinking. You know, I've got a sense, I've got a sense, Grant, that our game, for reasons that maybe are not, our, our our credit, I think it's going to be forced to come back the other way, you know. And uh, you know, you look at another thing. I want I had as a, an own goal, and it's just all these wee things that just come up in your head, and you think these are all signals. Did you see that charity game with Kaká and that influencer speed? That that's not fucking on, Grant. You well, mean, t- well, talk, talk is, about what happened because a lot of people won't have seen that. Right, Ricardo Kaká for two or three years was unplayable and one golden, you know, whatever you call it these days, you know, the, the number one thing just before the era of Messi Ballon and Ronaldo. Yeah. Yeah. Ballon d'Or. I saw Ricardo Kaká in his prime. He is a prince of footballers. And like I say, for a couple of years, utterly unplayable. Then got an injury just before he was punted to Real Madrid. Um, so he's playing a charity game, which is a charity game. And this influencer, Speed, who I know you detest anyway because of his way of carrying himself and all the, the, the things he puts around football, Messi, Ronaldo, the, 
he put in what would be easily called a straight red challenge onto the ankle of Kaká from behind. Now, any of us that are listening to this that play football, if we saw that in our fives game or our our Sunday League 11s game, and there was one of our teammates doing that, we would all go up to that teammate and say, mate, that's not on. You know, we don't play like that. That's not on. And, And you do it to a guy who you shouldn't be on the same pitch with. That is not on. And, you know, it just seemed to me a microcosm grant of what I was tra- what I'm trying to say. Enough. You know, this idea that some guy in Jakarta with a Chelsea strip on can be screaming into his screen when Chelsea are getting beat and that becomes content. Enough. Enough. Our game isn't like this. Our game is something completely different. And and like I say, and I, I want to think about it and write something worthy for Sunday. But I think we've reached a moment, you know, an enough moment. Well, look, we've spent a lot of time in recent weeks uh, and months, Roger, talking about this pendulum idea, right? About it starting to swing back the other day. And this, you know, the, this the the Kaká thing for sure was another one of those moments where. You know, when I talked about how trying to change the game to suit a certain generation is the road to hell, um, and that is absolutely playing out. You know, the game is the game. And if anyone thinks that the game hasn't survived changes in mood and changes in public, yes, the communications now are different and the media, the content and all the things that drive this, we've got to be... It's all bollocks. It's all bollocks, every single piece of it. The game is the game. The game has been the game for, you know, 100 plus years. And it's always going to be the game. And you and you better not mess with it. Because when you do mess with it, you end up with something that is completely and utterly fake. And the one thing, the one thing that football has always had going for it as a working class sport, as a sport of the people, is its authenticity. Because it it means something to people. And we've said this before, right? It's the, it's the thing that means the most that doesn't matter at all in all the world. And you cannot mess with that past a certain point. And when you do, it's going to snap back hard. And I agree with you, Roger. And I hope, I hope we're right. I hope we're reaching the outer limits of this nonsense. Um, you know, the PSG thing's interesting, though. I, I think, I don't think we're quite at the end of that yet, because at the end of the day, they bought a team in Ligue 1. And who, A, who cares about Ligue 1? B, they didn't have any competition, so it became meaningless. And when you say about their investment, they got nothing out of it, I, I, I don't know how they measure that. They got plenty of um, you know, space in newspapers, plenty of headlines, okay, fine. plenty of publicity. So, stuff, oh, no, yeah, I, yeah. I just, I, I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate. I don't know. I would say it's a complete waste of time too, but we don't know what their metrics are. Um, I suspect what it means, sadly, is more and more of these nation states will realise we have to get an English club. There's no point in going for you know the the the, the French champions or anyone in the Bundesliga. It, there's no point. The game is the Premier League, and if we're going to actually do what we want to do and be visible and do all these things, we have to find ourselves a club. And if we can get a big club, great. And if we can't, let's get a club that we can, you know, we can we can take back to its formal. You know, if if, if it was me, Rog, I'd look. I'd be looking at teams like Sheffield Wednesday. You know, with a with a terrific support, a great history, a great stadium. Um, I'd be looking at teams like Sunderland and saying, right, let's 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 take one of these old, big old clubs back to their former glories. Because there's a story there, right? There's a narrative there. 
and you can do something with that. And Wrexham has proven that if you do it right, now I don't think the nation states would do it right because they're not Reynolds and McElhenney, but there is another narrative here that you can craft that's around a genuine football club, that's around Well, you see, this is so interesting, Grant. You know, like, and this isn't me... Sure, there's a little bit of road to Damascus stuff, but, you know, I'm not giving up completely on the fact that this younger generation thinks different, so we just can't say, let's go no, back do, to where we do. were in the 80s. Right, but 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 the, the thing that, that I think... I feel, I feel a lot. I went to the Como game on Saturday and... They're they're not quality. They're not quality. They've not got superstar players, but they that town, this town was up for that, you know. Uh, um, Glasgow Celtic, no longer quality, no longer competing, no longer in the big time. But you go to Glasgow, and it really matters. So, so this idea of uh, Middle Eastern money coming in and pumping up a team to be something that it really isn't. It really isn't. I'm starting to doubt that now. I'm starting to say, let them be what they will be, you know? And and um, like I said to you, the great example I've got from today is Bologna. Bologna has won Serie A a good few times. It's a really serious team, traditionally. They've just now found a good manager and the city has come together and it's the size that it is. Make it into the Champions League. And if it doesn't, it's still been a great year for those guys. I'm starting to sound like you now here. But um, I know. What, what I'm, I'm, re- I'm reveling in it. <laughs> but, but listen, you know, I have zero issue to say, you know, like um, you're probably right on this. I just, I, I just feel that you look everywhere. You know, the fact about we said the last time Messi, you know, all those tickets sold in Hong Kong for Messi and he doesn't turn up and it's a damp squib. That's not football. That's not the the asset class that we know. The other thing, Saudi, and I'm sorry for all the good people that, that listen to this that are involved there in, in, in the Saudi Professional League, but it's looking bad to me. You know, those guys have gone there, the Benzema's of this world, they don't give a flying fig about the uh, and, and the idea is we'll bring all these people in and we'll sell the overseas rights. Sorry, I don't think there's any market for the overseas rights of a tournament that has got an aging Benzema who's picking his nose, uh, and 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 you know, all, and, and all these other ones. I don't see that anymore. I, what the Saudis should do is they should just double down on grassroots participation. They'll say they're doing that anyway. But what I'm saying is, do it more. You've got demographics in your favour. You've got. Um, the ability to make this the centre of the world, but don't try and accelerate it by bringing in people who clearly have got no feeling for your league, probably got no feeling for your country, doing it, you know, reluctantly, and then badmouth you uh, anytime you speak to the local media. So I, I just think the the playbook that was there. 12 months ago, I think it's changed, just like it was for streaming. The playbook of streaming two years ago, D to C, I think has now completely changed. I think the football playbook that I wrote about a lot, um, I would say before most people, has changed. I feel it's, come, it's coming back really strong and the future is nice and tight in Como or Bologna or Sheffield United and just let football be football. Well, look... look um We'll come back to what you just said there because uh, I want to come on to John Rahm in, in, a, in a little while. Um, I don't know if you saw that. You may know where I'm going with that. But, but um, you know, Roger, this, this 
the the clamor, the excitement was all around creating content, right? It was all about how do we engage Gen Z? Well, we need content. We need short, snappy sound bites. Uh, and that's what led to all this kind of superficial, um, artificial nonsense being created. This morning, I woke up, check, I was check, scrolling through uh, Twitter, which I refuse to ever call X, um, scrolling through Twitter, and uh, I saw a, a piece of content that if it, if it doesn't almost move you to tears, you're not a true sports fan. And that was one of the Liverpool lads uh, who won the Carabao Cup yesterday showing up for school this morning, right? He's got his little tie on and his sweater and his blazer and his backpack on his back, and he's, he gets out of his dad's car and he walks in, and the entire school is standing there applauding him as he walks in. It was, it was magnificent. Every single person, and you know that that school is half blue, half red, right? You just know that. There's a lot of Everton fans in there, but they're kids. Nice. And a mate of nice. theirs just walked in with a Carabao Cup final winner's medal around his neck, and he's got geography at 9 a.m., right? I mean, it's just, it's authentic, it's real, it's emotional, it captures everything. Is You don't need some poxy YouTuber doing this and making it all, you know, how many exclamation marks can we get in the transcript? It's nonsense. The game is the game. It's the, it's called the beautiful game for a reason. And if you want content, you want a camera just showing the Fulham fans who stuck around in Old Trafford in their little corner for an hour after the game, reveling in the moment. You That's want a great point. this kid walking into school. That's the content, but it's real. It's not staged. And so, you know, if we are going back that way, Rog, the content's not going away. It's just going to get, guess what? It's going to get authentic. It's going to get real. And it is going to, I mean, this, this, you, I'll find this, this thing and, and send it to no, you. No, no, no. I'd love it to see it. Every hair on the back of my neck stand up. It's extraordinary. And you realize it's a 17-year-old kid, right, who just played at Wembley and won a medal. And there's a, there a tweet underneath it that said, Jaden Dans has played 34 minutes of first-team football. He's won a trophy. Harry Kane's played 42,309 minutes of first-team football and not won a trophy, yeah, which is, uh, which is which I thought was hilarious. But it, it's real, right? It's real. And, and when you say let football be football, that's ultimately all you need to do. That's, that's all you a need great to do. strap line, by the way. I'm going to copyright that one before somebody steals it. Let football be football. And on, and on that, mate, on that, mate, here's a little one, you know, like um, um, I'll read this out to you. Stan Bowles, Alan Hudson, Frank oh, Robinson, Charlie Oh, okay, Jordan. good. I'm glad we're getting into this. Sorry, go on. I, I knew one of us was going to bring up. Away you go. Stan Bowles, Alan, Alan Hudson, uh, Frank Worthington, Charlie George, Peter Osgood, fewer than 25 England caps between them, wasted generation of incredible talent. England in this period did not qualify for the 1974 and 1978 World Cup. So, you know, my thought on this today is England in that period... Uh, in their FA, uh, because remember, that's the other side of, of football, is really badly run by the butchers, the bakers and the candlestick makers. They went for school teacher types. You mentioned geography. Geography teacher types like Ron Greenwood, you know, uh, like Southgate himself, uh, Alf Ramsey, Don Howe, all these kind of guys. And the Brian Clough's were left aside. And, you know, I, I've written something down here with this underneath this tweet. To win a tournament... English football needs to go high beta. It needs to put a little bit of risk into, <laughs> into the, right. the formula. Do, do you agree? Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And, 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 and the, I think the sad thing was, Rog, um, 
during those years, the England fans were clamouring for these guys to go in the team. You know, it, it's not like it was a risk because the fans would have backed you all the way. You stick Osgood in the team, you stick Bowles in the team, you stick all these guys in the team, the fans would have been absolutely behind you. And look, it maybe didn't work. And maybe they would have gotten the manager, but you all know it was the right thing to do. It wasn't a risk in terms of the perception of the public and the backing of the public. The, the result's always a risk, no matter who you put on the pitch. It's so difficult, man, because, you know, I saw another thing when I was reading about Stan Bowles, who is just one of those wonderful characters. You know, apparently when one of the times he was called up in the dressing room, Emily Hughes was captain. And Emily Hughes, you know, an amazing guy, you know, hats off to people like that. Who, who in the team talk at the start said, look, we're here, we're playing for the jersey, uh, forget bonuses, forget anything like that, I'd, I'd play and I'm playing for nothing. This is the, the about the, the joy of playing for England. And Stan Bowles in the corner said, uh, well, if you're not having your bonus, can I have yours as well? You know, <laughs> the, the, these kind of guys are often very, very difficult coming back to the Bruno Fernandes, you know, get 11 soldiers thing. That's the beauty of a dressing room and why I keep coming back to this. Finding the, the equilibrium in a dressing room is one of the hardest things in the world. And, and you know, the more and more you think about it and who's doing well and who's not doing well, it's such a human organism. It's not about data. It's not about stats. And it's such an intangible that it's beautiful. You know, it's when you, when you look at the Mona Lisa, it's not the greatest painting ever done. It's not even Leonardo's greatest painting. But it's beautiful and it's enigma, you know, and that's what a dressing room is to me. And, and anyway, I'm giving away a lot of my <laughs> thoughts for Sunday. That doesn't matter. They're always, they're always better in the written word. But, you know, it's funny, that Stan Bowles... Um, who passed away uh, a couple of days ago was, uh, for people that don't know, was was one of the great maverick football players in the 1970s in England. Um, just just a wonderful talent, but a mercurial uh, character. And a couple of stories, Rog, which uh, which have come out in the in the vision. I'm sure you've seen them. You've seen this, the one about when he went on Superstars. Did you see this story? They invited him onto Superstars, no. and he went on. And uh, James Hunt was in the same competition as him and the two of them went out on the piss and had an epic bender the night before the, the night before the competition obviously yeah, it was a complete and utter disaster but the best one <laughs> my mate my mate Steve Conway sent me this one this morning which I've got to read to you because it's absolutely it's just delightful um here we go Stanley Bowles I'm, I'm going to change the expletive <clears throat> because this is something of a family show um Stan Bowles once asked a ref what would you do if I called you a, I'm going to use the other C word, a cock? Ref, well, obviously I'd send you off. Stan, what would you do if I thought you were a cock? Ref, I wouldn't be able to do anything about that. Stan, well, I think you're a cock. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I saw that. It's That's just very, wonderful. Very funny. Just yeah, absolutely wonderful. wonderful. True or not, it's just magnificent. But RIP Stan Bowles, a true, true RIP talent. RIP Stan Bowles and that kind of guy, that kind of guy for sure. What else you got for us, Rog? Very, very quickly, because um, uh, I know you've got a hard stop. Tell me about this Charlie Woods thing. Look, you know, Charlie Woods, the son of Tiger Woods, I've never liked all those videos that were going around when playing with his dad and all the hand signals. And that's just not me. I just, I didn't like that. I took an instant dislike to the guy. Never really liked Tiger, as you know. Um, however, there's not liking a guy 
and dancing on his grave after he shoots 16 over with, I have to say, Grant, a very strong sense of racism around all of this. You know, what, I'm, you're more a golf guy than me. How are you reading this Charlie Wood stuff? Uh, I think the kid's 15. <clears throat> I think he tried to qualify for a PGA Tour event at 15. He shot 16 over. You know, if his name was Charlie Smith, probably wouldn't have got any headlines. It's only because of Tiger. And look, I think fair play to him for trying. For trying, he's he's obviously a talented golfer. I mean, this is a this is a PGA Tour setup, and you know he had he had two awful holes, um, but plenty of pars, and you know it's a learning experience, Roger. I, I remember when Justin Rose turned pro after the you know came second in the Open at Birkdale, chips in on eighteen to finish behind Mark Amir in nineteen ninety eight, turns pro, and doesn't make a cut for like two years or something ridiculous. He had this ridiculous streak where he didn't make a cut. And everybody said, oh, you know, typical, he's a talented amateur, he should never turn pro, blah, 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 blah. You know, he stuck at it and he ended up world number one, winning majors and had a tremendous career. So, you know, to judge Charlie Woods after this is ridiculous. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous, right? I mean, there there are plenty of tournaments where where tour pros shoot, have a round in the 80s, right? It just so happens that yeah, Charlie I'm, I'm had not a, so much a round talking in the about 80s. It, you're right on that. And it's the reaction to it. The reaction to it, I'm, Yeah, I'm I, didn't, I didn't see a lot it's, of the reaction. I saw, I saw, Jesus. You know, I saw that I mean, people like, were... They're talking about, Jesus, I mean, like, talking about, the, you know, you're like your old man, why don't you go chasing a bit of skirt and all this kind of stuff. I mean, like, re- and, okay, I know social are. media is... But, I mean, oh, really, I mean, like, there's some stuff out there that... <laughs> Takes your breath it's away. Just how people, nasty it's just people, people are. being people, Roger. Sadly, yeah, yeah, they are. They are. That's uh, you know, what, what did Seinfeld say? People, they're the worst. And he was absolutely right. <laughs> he was. Well, let, listen, I tell you, yeah. let, let's 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 stick on golf for one second and, and just tie it back to the Saudi stuff. Yeah, Rob, did you see this this clip? Him talking to Marty Smith. I, I, I flipped through. I have to admit, I saw that it seemed a big story, but I didn't read it. He seemed to have an honest interview okay. where he said, "I just went for the money," something like that. So, so Marty Smith, who is an ESPN golf correspondent, he, he's terrific actually. And and every year at the Masters, they have a podcast that runs through Masters Week, and and every day Marty Smith hosts it. And I've been listening to it for years. I've never seen Marty Smith, and he sounds like a sixty-five-year-old journo who's you know, been around seeing it. He's got this real, real Southern drawl, and you know, he's, he, he sounds <laughs> like a like an old Southern guy, right? And you see him, and he looks like he's about. 28 years old with the spiky hair and he's really cool. Um, but he's a good journalist and he, and he sat with Ram and he basically was asking him about Liv and the, the the clip that's doing the rounds of social media, there were some cuts in it. So I'm, I'm, I'm always curious to see the whole thing. But Ram basically said, <clears throat> um, and I'm paraphrasing slightly but not much, he said, look, there's, you know, basically there's no point in me giving you the stock line. I was offered a chance to play less golf for more money and set my family up for life. And that's basically why I did it. It's, it's essentially essentially what he said. And obviously people jump on the <clears throat> bandwagon about, well, you're not playing that much less golf. You know, you've got 14 live events plus four majors. You were playing 20 events of the PGA. You know, forget all that. He actually, you know, came out and said, <clears throat> he didn't say use the, I'm trying to grow the game. He didn't use the stock line. And you could see... That he was, he was said, you know, there are, there are there are events on the PGA Tour and the and the DP World Tour that I would love to play. And if 
You know, if, I, if there was a way for me to play them, I would support both tours. You can see where this is all going, right? There's going to be some coming together because it's in everybody's interest. Live just isn't working. I don't care what anybody says. It's not working. Um, someone I know was watching it on YouTube, said there were 27,000 people watching it um, on the YouTube feed, right, when he was on there. It's not working. They're, they will find a way to come back together. There's going to be a massive fight over compensation and people are going to want players to sit on the naughty step for a while or whatever it may be. But it's going back that way. And I think Ram and Hatton, <coughs> excuse me, um, this was a very calculated decision. Well, I'm going to take this money because if I don't take it now, the numbers are going to go down dramatically. And I think after a year, I'll be back on the tour anyway. So, I'll, you know, I'll, this, is a, this is a smart thing to do. And you could see in Ram's head a, a mixture of buyer's remorse and also, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to do my time. He said if he hadn't won the Masters... He probably wouldn't have gone because he knew the Masters gets him into the majors for all for the next however many years. Um, it's, it clearly was it clearly was the money. So we'll, you know, we'll see where this goes. But I suspect um, the live money is going to go down, and the chance of the tours coming together is going to go up, and they will find a way to coexist peacefully. I don't know what that will be, but I for one look forward to it because the Mexican Open, and yes, it's between the West Coast Swing and the Florida Swing, so there's there's no big players playing. But Rog. There's a story. The kid who won it is Jake Knapp. Um, beautiful golf swing, very couples-esque. He had given up on the tour and, and was working as a security guard, right? And he comes back, plays brilliant golf, wins. There's a story there. There's a real story. that I And I was here with some I'll friends and watching. Yeah, that's what it's about. There's no story with Liv. So... You know, we'll, we'll see. I think, the, but I think the, the Ram interview is very, very interesting. You should, you should watch it. No, no, I get, I get that, and it does play into this whole thing about you know, can can the money pump sport up to something that that it can't handle? You know, I was on the podcast with Richard Gillis, and he came up with this line. He says, you know, sometimes we put too much onto the shoulders of sport, and people are expecting too much from it in terms of whether it's financial return or sports washing or geopolitical, you know, change in the economies. It's sport, you know. Uh, and I think I, I think this is going to come down hard the other way. It may link to one of the other things that I was going to say to you just before we close here is that this idea that we're at a top in general, we're at a top. You know, uh, they put Brentford for sale. You know, that's another signal for me that that's a top. Uh, everywhere you look, everywhere you look, Grant, you see the people that know uh, from Jeff Bezos down the insider tra uh, selling, not an insider selling, uh, legal selling. Of, of their own shares doesn't happen because these people know stuff we don't know. So, you know, what's your what's your view about, you know, as you said, we're coming into two very difficult years. Um, I, I kind of sense that we're going to be very difficult years. There may be some element of a crash. I've said that for a while. And that will be the catalyst for sport to hunker back down to the stuff that we've been talking about on this show. How you seen it? Well, I had a, I had a, I had a very interesting conversation. I'm here for some meetings, and um, a great friend of mine is also in town for the meetings. And I spent some time with him yesterday, and we sit and chat about this. And he's, uh, he's one of the sharpest guys I've ever met in terms of this stuff. And and he's been buzzing around the US, um, having meetings of his own. And and we were talking about what he'd learned, and he said, you know, I, I've I've been in the room with. And he, I mean, he mixes with serious, serious people, Rog. So, you know, I've been in the room with all these guys and, you know, 
I expected I'd find them pounding the table with all the, you know, the Mag 7 going up and, you know, there was the VC guys and, you know, pounding the table about everything. He said every single one of them is trying to sell everything they can as okay. fast as they can. They just they, they, they they're all trying to get out now. Like if there's a bid, let's let's look for bids. Let's so that is. It doesn't mean there's a crash happening tomorrow. It means the mindset of the smartest people in the world is time to take cash off the table, um, and that the kind of the kind of people that he talks to are always the people who move first and do get out while the band's still playing and do sit on the sidelines and 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 do you know wait until they can buy things that are the wrong price you know and and my comment to him was that the the narrative in recent years has been around growth you know this thing is cheap because look at all the growth in front of you and it, uh, there is a point in the cycle where that's right um but the better one because to be right about that you have to have the growth the growth has to happen right and it has to continue the better time when things are good value is when they're distressed because then you're buying them below book value. You're buying them for pennies on the dollar. You're buying them for less than what they're worth and you don't need anything to happen, just time, right? And so it's interesting that a lot of these really smart guys are trying to get out of the growth stuff that has been growing at a time when the public are piling into NVIDIA and all these other crazy growth stocks like, like it's the last game in town. They're trying to sell into that, raise cash, and then sit and wait and wait until they can buy the next great undervalued assets, which are distressed. And, you know, if, if you buy things at the right price, Raj, you don't have to worry about anything. You buy it, you go to the beach. Well, that's the old Ben it, Graham thing, it isn't it? You know, that's the old Ben Graham thing. You buy, if you buy well, then all you have to do is just wait for it to revert to mean and you're fine. You make all your money uh, when you buy something. Yeah. You know, like I, I've, I've had a few people recently, you know, because people ask you your opinion and, and I said about six, seven months ago, look, NVIDIA, magnificent seven stocks. It's, it's, uh, if, if you, if you got a profit, I would take it on NVIDIA, which they did. Of course, six months later, what do you think they're saying they to hate me, you. Grant? Look, yeah, they look, that's right. That's right. That's right. But Rog, you know, nobody ever got poor taking a profit, right? That's, that's the beauty. And of course they hate you. Of course they hate you. But, you know, if if you know, our our mutual friend Tony uh, has a great um, has a great line, and he said, if anyone says to him, "I want your advice," he says, "Okay, but there's two conditions. If I if you if I give my advice, I'm very happy to give it to you. You have to do one of two things: you either have to take it or you pay me for it. If you take my advice, it's free. If you decide not to, then you're going to pay me for it." Which I just think is wonderful. It's like, right, you, why are you asking my advice? Like, why are you asking me? Because you want, you want me to tell you what to do, so I will. I'll give up my time and I'll tell you. But you have to take it if you want it. And if not, you're going to pay me for my time. Which I think is just terrific. Terrific. Well, that is, well, that's, so that simple. Is classic. I didn't have that one. The only one I could offer um, in these days when they're hating me was um, that classic phrase, which is beautiful, picking up dimes in front of a steamroller. Right. 
Exactly. Well, it, in Nvidia's case, it was picking up suitcases full of cash right in front of Steve Rowland. That's what he said to me. Out. That's what he said but to hey, me. He it, said a look. fucking lot of dimes. That was. <laughs> it, it, hey, it could it could have turned out very differently, and I, I suspect at some point it will. Just not yet. That's that's the nature of these things. Um, all right, mate. We've got five minutes yeah. left. You got anything else for me? I figured uh, you would have. Uh, I've now, the only thing I've got is, you know, we've, we've got coming up now this Netflix uh, tennis exhibition thing, you know, um, Alcaraz and, and Nadal. Oh, yeah. You know, and yeah, yeah, I know you won't be interested in this, but for the industry, it's a big moment, right? You know, you know, it's probably A-B testing the way that Facebook did, you know, does sport work for us? Does it not work for us? All that kind of stuff. You know, there's the idea that rather than buying sports rights, they're going to do their own ones, so they, they'll have to deal with sports politics and rights holders and all that crap. Um, how this goes, along with all the other stuff they're doing, you know, Net Netflix is, is, is a big player in this whole future. So it's worth mentioning that <laughs> I won't be watching this tennis game, but um, a lot of the industry will. So, you know, let's see how it goes. But here's the thing, Rog, I'm curious about this, right? Because we've seen several iterations of the match now, right? This golf thing under the floodlights and they've tweaked it and they've tweaked it and they've started off with Phil and Tiger and, you know, there's going to be loads of banter and loads of, you know, all, everything that plays into all that stuff we've talked about, about, right? How do we engage people? Oh, we have banter and we have, you know, mic the players up and we'll, they'll be needling each other and betting and all the, all the crap, right, that takes away from the game. And they've tweaked it and they've brought in quarterbacks from the NFL and they've, and they've done everything they can every time to try and make it stick and it hasn't stuck. But what's the plan? For, let's say Nadal and uh, it's Alcaraz he's playing, right? I think. Yeah. Is that right? Alcaraz? Yep. Yeah. 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 Let's, 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 so the two of them play, right? Okay. And it's, it's an event on Netflix and they're mic'd up, which I'm sure they will be, right? I guess, I guess this is the shtick. We're still doing the same shtick. We're going to mic the players up and they're going to banter it, blah, blah, blah. We've seen it in golf, right? And let's say somehow, magically, it's a five, you know, three, I'm sure it'll be three sets, it won't be five, but it's a three-set thriller, right? And it's not just a one-sided demolition job by one or the other. Well, this, so what? Where do you go with that? Do you do another one in a few months' time where you mic the players up and you have a bit of banter? Like, it, it's, it's, a, it's a curiosity, but is it a revenue stream? I mean, I just... Don't I see very quickly how this generation you're trying to entice, they get bored with things very quickly. So three months' time, oh, it's a it's a it's a different two players. Yeah, but they're mic'd up and there's going to be banter. Yeah, no, listen, I know where you're going with this, but, but, I, but I, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't I don't get it. Let me let me tell you, it's like what Sam Renouf told us, you and I, on 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 the PTO podcast. You know, in the scenario that it goes really well, the one you're saying, then the thinking would be we can build a tour around this that will be ours, we'll call it whatever, the Netflix tennis tour, um, immediate challenger to the ATP, um, and they're away at the races. You know, they've never bid for rights because why would they? Um, if it works, they then have got the opportunity to just put together a, a, you know, it wouldn't be just another exhibition game. You'd then have to put context around it. And you would, you know, you would do very much like Sam's doing, you know, you would have eight, ten events in great locations and you would call it the evolution of serious tennis. Be a huge threat to the ATP. 
come on, Rog, really? So Netflix is going to stream an entire tournament or, or an eight-man exhibition tournament, whatever it's going to be. Like the that's... Masters. Like the Masters today is a good tournament. They, you know, that's the, the, the crown jewel of the ATP. You know, they, they could aspire to that. You know, they have, you know, one every one every two months, normal tournament. Then at the end, they have the, the Masters, and it's all called Netflix. And, you know, it's only the cream of the top of tennis. And then, you know, people start. That's the opposite way of the way that you complain about Liv did it. Liv did it. Let's get all the players and let's hope somebody watches it. Netflix, one could argue, is saying, let's see if people have got an appetite for this. And if they do, then we'll do Liv. And our Liv will be called Netflix Masters, something like that. That would be, I guess, yeah. what they're thinking Maybe you're is. right. Maybe you're right. I, 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 again, I mean, look, they, I think they've got a better shot than golf because tennis doesn't have the tradition that, golf has outside the majors um you know in golf there are a dozen events which carry huge heft in the golf world i don't think tennis really has that to be honest with you. i'm not a big a tennis fan no. so maybe i'm completely wrong i think they have a better shot simply because they're not competing against the the entrenched nature of golf but i don't know roger I, and, and again this is just the, the the aging curmudgeon in me i just don't see how you you engage people past the novelty event of oh let's see what this is all about. Well, guess what? It's a tennis match. No, but here you're going for you the core, to... the core tennis fan. Here you're going for the core tennis fan. You know, we'll see. This, how, this how, how passerby viewer. Big is that? Yeah, that's I, why I, they're doing I wonder how testing. big that is. Yeah, no, I know, I get it all. Facebook I get it all. did that I and just... they said it ain't big enough. Doesn't move the needle. Facebook, yeah, Peter Hutton we'll through all this. You know, um, before we close, we'll get one question for you when I do this article on Sunday. Go on. Will you, will you, will you let me embed the Scudamore interview or is it too close for your subscribers? No, you're fine. You're fine. I'll, I'll sort that out for you. Thank you for that. I think everybody will want to see that. That's Grant. Two-hour interview with Richard Scudamore and if it's an article about what's happened in football the last 30 years and if we've gone down the wrong road, that is something that is essential to the article. Well, my friend, uh, perfect. 8.02, two minutes past. That's not too bad. I've got to run out of here. Uh, I've got a bunch of meetings and stuff to go to, hence the shirt and tie, as you'll see. Um, uh, our thanks to you for listening, as always. Uh, Roger and I would do these if you weren't there, but it's so much more fun having you out there. So thanks again for taking the time to spend it with us. Uh, our thanks to uh, all the people in every sport in the world that give us so much to talk about every week. Uh, and uh, my thanks to you, Roger, for... for doing this I know that you've got a tight window I've got a tight window so I'm glad we made this happen if you don't follow us already um, on social media uh, you must know the drill by now and you're probably choosing not to but I'll tell you anyway again you can find us at entertained R that's the word A-R-E you'll find me at T-T-M-Y-G-H and myself at RPM Como as in the lake as in the lake alright my friend until next time thank you Grant take care now bye bye